welcome to the Trainer Tools podcast. I'm John Tomlinson, and this month we are with Lydia Hooper. Hi, Lydia. How are you? Hello. Wonderful to be here. Well, thank you for coming on all the way from Denver in the Rocky Mountains. And uh, you are a, I don't know if it's the right way of saying it, infographic expert. Is that the right job title? Sure. Um, I consider myself to be an information designer. And um, infographics is something in particular that I am focused on sharing. So it's information designer in, in the sense of a visual output when you say designer, rather than yeah, say designing a, a database or whatever. Yeah, I mean, design is such a broad term. And I'm sure many listeners that you have identify as being an instructional designer. I think information design overlaps with that a little bit, but it is largely about organizing information within a visual so that there's clear communication of usually highly informational, sometimes complex concepts and ideas. I, I suspect we don't need to really win the argument about why that's important, because obviously, unless you're visually impaired, most people are very visual. And a lot of learning lends itself very well to have some kind of diagrammatic form. But is there any kind of case you feel you need to make there that it's worth making the effort to do some kind of I don't know what to call it now I feel like infographics the wrong word but <laughs> it's a visual let's just call it a visual yeah I agree with you I think it's I think most people appreciate when they receive information that way I think oftentimes the only case to be made is really helping people feel confident enough to be able to create those so that they can best help translate whatever it is that they want to share with their audience. Do do you buy into this? Um, do you buy into this learning styles stuff where people go, "Oh, I'm not a visual learner. I'm kinesthetic or whatever." Do you buy into all of that? I think that more and more we are learning and understanding that we are all multimodal learners. And I feel because, you know, technology is such a huge part of our lives these days, and so much of how we're receiving information through our devices is in visual form, even if we have a proclivity of how we like to receive information, um, the way that our, the way that we're basically training our brains is to become more and more visual. That's a much more diplomatic answer than I was expecting. I thought you were really going to trash <laughs> learning styles there, but um, we can do we can do that uh, maybe as we go on. I know you want to structure this interview into sort of three bits, and we're going to start with the kind of easy bit, I guess, the kind of three basic principles about using visuals in training. And you're sort of acknowledging that these are things that probably people already know. And then we're going to talk about three additional principles or tips, which possibly people might not know. And then at the end, we're actually going to apply those and use free examples. And there's going to be some links in the show notes that people can access if they want to actually see what we're talking about, seeing as this is only audio and we're talking about the value of visual. So we have sort of set ourselves up there a little bit. But uh, do you want to start with the first part there? What are these three basic principles? Yeah, and the first one you already mentioned, and that is just how important visuals are when we are wanting to convey or communicate really any information and just how critical they are to us understanding all kinds of different concepts and ways that we want to learn information. So that would be the first thing I would say is just that visuals are really necessary. I think the second one 
goes a little more into what we've learned about this and how we can really quantify and qualify that at this point. What we know is that visuals tend to be very memorable for a variety of reasons. But oftentimes, if we're receiving information in other ways, it's easier for that to get lost in our thinking. Um, and I think visuals are more memorable in part because they leave sort of this impression on our mind. This is kind of how, of course, we've developed as humans. We have memories. Those are largely visual and so when we're presenting information, to have a visual tied to that information really helps people be able to memorize, remember and recall whatever it is that is conveyed in that visual. Um, I think just a, a small extension of that would just be if we know that that's the case, then we would definitely want to make sure that whatever it is that we are sharing in visuals is best representing whatever the most important thing is that we want to make sure people remember. So we know they're memorable and therefore, you know, the basic principle would just be when we are creating visuals, we want to make sure that we're really emphasizing in the visual the thing that we want people to take away. So so you're saying that, you know, humans are naturally, or I mean, most of us are, are naturally very visual and that's how we our memories work. That's how we engage with the world. Yes. I, I think, I, think visual... I remember somebody... One, and I haven't checked this fact, so this could be rubbish, but I'm sure I remember somebody saying that something like two-thirds of the sensory information that our brain deals with is visual information, is essentially light. Um, so if, it's some, if, if two-thirds of our experience of the world is visual, that does say quite a lot. Yes. I was just about to share something similar. Unless we have a visual Yours is probably more factual than mine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was no, just something was somebody factual. said. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's about the number. Unless we have a visual impairment, that is basically how we are taking in. That is our primary visual. Our visual sense is our primary sense. That is how we are receiving information from the world around us. And therefore, it plays a huge role in our cognition and our basic understanding of the world that we live in. Yeah, I, I find that absolutely fascinating because I, I, you know, as a human, it almost feels like you, you don't know what's going on around you unless you can yes you, you, you can sort of reflect light off it and and read mm -hmm. the signals coming back you're, you're you're unable to really kind of understand the space you're in the physical space you're in and i find that absolutely fascinating um what the experience must be like for a non-human animal that doesn't have that mm. like a bat or a dolphin or whatever that really kind of knows where it is in the world by sounds that gets reflected back off stuff instead of light that gets reflected back off stuff i, I think it must be so fascinating to experience the world through those different senses. Yes, and fundamentally different. I think that we, because it is our primary sense, I think we take it for granted. And we don't often yeah. think about the real impact that the things we see have on us. But you also said made a really interesting point there as well, because you said how it links to memory. And, and, and I think you said you have an emotional response. Did you say that? <laughs> I didn't say that, but that's interesting that you say that because I do often point that out about visuals, how they connect with the part of our brain, the limbic part of our brain, which is sort of precognitive. It's the part of our brain that is very tied to our emotions. And if you wanted to use the word subconscious, it's a place where we're processing information without realizing we're processing it is another way of putting it. 
So to be able to have a visual connecting with that part of our way of thinking and orienting ourselves is incredibly powerful. It's almost like we can sort of bypass having to go through all the linear explaining and get right to the center of where people hold, you know, their beliefs, their core relationship to themselves and to people around them and to their world. It's something that I feel we don't talk about enough when we're talking about visuals, especially informational visuals, which we, of course, often are focused on facts and things that do require higher cognitive functions. So to be able to really speak to the emotional aspect of people's experiences in life is really powerful because oftentimes that's what's lacking when we are conveying information. We are assuming that that person is essentially a computer and just processing information in a logical way. But we know from behavioral science that people make decisions largely based on their emotions, not on logical reasoning. And they use logical reasoning to basically justify um, what it is that they are making a decision about. So to be able to really access that place in us that is processing information at that level is incredibly powerful if we're really wanting to change behavior, use information, data, facts to change behavior. No, right. I mean, that's why I guess organizations spend so much money on logos and their kind of visual mm. image and the, that, that kind of emotional response you might have to one particular supermarket sign over another and one screams quality with the other one screams low prices or whatever. And it's all down to a lot <laughs> of that visual design. Yes. Which is which they either get right or wrong. And uh, it, it is hugely influential in our decision making. Yes, this is advertising that we're talking about. This is the great behemoth called advertising. So so we were talking through the, those sort of three basic principles, which we you know accept that people probably know there about how, you know, use visuals. Humans are generally very visual. We have that um, uh, it links to our memories. We have that emotional response to it. Did we cover all three in there? Yeah, we didn't. So thanks I, for saying that. I thought that. not. The yeah, I thought I was, I was only up to two. The third one that I want to say, and I do think people kind of know this in an intuitive way, but I still feel like it's really merits saying explicitly. And that is that design and visual communication is a practice. It's not a profession. So I consider myself to be a designer because I'm devoted to this practice. This is the focus of my work. And um, I'm committed to helping other people in this work as well. But I do strongly feel that design is fundamentally a practice and therefore anyone is capable of developing the skill and being able to do this well, regardless of their role, their professional identity, really any characteristic that they might give themselves. So that's what you mean by a practice rather than a profession? It is a yes. something that anyone can get good at with practice, yes. presumably with guidance, etc. Uh, it's not something that's exclusive to a professional few, a professional elite of designers. We could all get good at this. Yes, and I I I want to say that explicitly because I still feel that there is a misnomer, which is you know I can't do this or that because I'm not a graphic designer. I hear that a lot from people that are not in my profession. And then I think sometimes folks in my profession often underestimate 
the ability that other people have to be able to communicate visually. And I really think that we're in a moment in time where there's so much exchange of information happening all the time. The more that people have the skills to be able to do that well, the better we're going to function as a society, as a globe. So I really think it's important to just explicitly say that anyone is capable of learning the skill and being able to do it well. Yeah, I think it's a really good point, actually. And it's one of those ones which is obvious when you say it, I suppose, but it's not that. It do, I think you're right. It does need explicitly stating because pretty much anyone can draw a diagram and we all kind of resort to pen and paper or whatever at certain times because we just need it's the only way we can sort of express ourselves and, and, and it helps our thought process we're all capable of some kind of visual representation of the point we're trying to make or i think that's a really important point actually i always say when because i've taught workshops before where i encourage people to draw which is really outside of a lot of people's comfort zones um but i always say that you know, you learn to write. And when you're writing, you're just forming shapes and you're creating lines. And that is, that is the same thing as drawing. If you can learn to write, like you can definitely learn to draw. In many ways, I think it's actually easier. But this, the, the biggest obstacle is getting over you thinking that you're able to do it. And I'm by no means saying you have to draw to be a visual communicator. Of course, today we have all kinds of tools available through our computers, our devices, the internet, and we can use those tools without ever having to really pick up a pen and paper. There, there is more to it than just drawing. I mean, I completely acknowledge your point that everyone can draw and most people will turn around and say, I can't draw as soon as you ask them to draw anything. But I agree with you, they, they can draw up to a point. But there is obviously more to this than just drawing. There's other kind of the, you know, the conceptual side of how do you represent the thing you're trying to get across it's not just drawing exactly. do you do you think that sort of conceptual thinking side of it how you structure your ideas is that similarly a practice yes and the reason that i ask people to draw is i find that for myself when i'm in a drawing mode i'm allowing myself to explore ideas and that is really a great place to start this process. I understand that that is not the place that everyone, you know, can start at if they're not feeling like that's something they can jump right into. But in general, yes, you do want to start in a place where you're, you're thinking about conceptually, what you're wanting to convey before you get down to the particulars of, you know, the precise colors you want to use, if you're going to have text, what that text exactly is going to be, you really want to start with what is the framework that I want to present this in? How do I want to arrange this information in a way that really creates meaning for people? Let's go on to talk about the next block of points that you want to make. And this is these kind of three additional principles or tips. Uh, where do you want to start with this one? Yeah. And I wondered if you wanted me to give an example as I go with each of these. Yeah, sure. Yeah. That might be easier than circling back later. Okay. So the first one is that the more flex the information is or the ideas that you want to convey and communicate, the more necessary or helpful that a visual can be. 
I think, again, maybe when I say that for some people, they'll understand what I mean by that. But I do think for others, maybe not. Oftentimes when we see visuals like the advertisements we were talking about earlier, they are fairly simple and straightforward. But I think what visuals allow us to do is process a lot of information fairly quickly. So if we have a lot of information that we're wanting to convey or something that's really complex, that could be complex in a number of different ways. It could be informationally complex. It could be emotionally complex. It could be socially complex. If something in its nature is difficult for people to immediately grasp, that is a case in which it's even more important. Think about how you can use a visual to help people wrap their thinking around whatever that idea is or whatever it is that needs to be conveyed. Yeah, that's that is interesting because you might think about a visual being something's been very suited to visual representation, something's much less suited. And you might think complexity is part of that thinking. So this is too complex to go in a visual. The visual Correct. would end up the individual would, would just end up being a mess because there'd be so much on there that it's just not realistic. Yes. But you're challenging that and saying no. Yes. I think sometimes we might shy away from that sort of use case because it sometimes is more work, <laughs> right? To be able to organize complex ideas. But oh, I yeah, do I think suppose, yeah. that, yeah, I do think that when we know how important it is to do that and we can justify the work involved, um, the payoff, the return on investment is huge. And I think, you know, our world right now is, is just, it feels becoming increasingly and increasingly complex. I think if we want to support one another, in living in that complexity in a way that's not overwhelming, in a way that we are able to maintain an idea of what's happening, we really do need to think about how we can convey information in a way that that's that's supportive of what's happening right now, I think, evolutionarily, the way that our brains are being tasked to grow, I think we need to rely on these visual tools to really help us navigate this time. Right. And I suppose it's similar to that that old saying about, you know, if I had more time, I'd have written a shorter letter. And the idea that it actually <laughs> takes more time to get it short. So I suppose similarly, it takes more time. The more complex it is, it takes more time to actually think through, well, how am I going to stick this into a diagram that doesn't just become a big garbled mess? It does, as you say, require sort of more thought up, thr up front but it's but it's actually more important to do. Yes. Do do you find sort of related to that I guess? Is there a kind of snobbiness about that whereas it's kind of like it's almost more intellectually considered if it's written in written form and it's kind of sort of feels like it's a bit dumbed down or intellectually less valid if it's in a visual. You know, I haven't seen any research backing that up, although I would love to. I definitely feel that that's the case, though. I definitely feel that, in particular, because we know academic audiences are very text-heavy. Yeah, and, that's what I was thinking, yeah. Yeah, so there is kind of an association there, I think. Although I will say I've recognized, even within academic circles, more appreciation for example a visual that's included as part of an abstract so i do think that perhaps there's 
even in that space, they're starting to understand the importance of including visuals. But yeah, I would agree with that. I, and what we've said a couple times now, which is that oftentimes when someone sees an advertisement that's considered to be, you know, popular culture and not intellectual. So I definitely think there is that association when it comes to complex information and conveying that. I think that is potentially a barrier that people face when creating visuals. It's as if they think if I make this look complex, then I'm really communicating to this person how complex this is. Which Exactly, yeah. Probably not what you want to communicate. I think what you want to communicate by and large is even if this is complex, this is how you can best understand it. So for me, communication always starts with the audience and understanding what their needs are. And so absolutely, when you take that into consideration, then it behooves you to maybe not simplify, but at least clarify to the best of your ability and not, not create something that even has an implicit message of this is difficult to understand. Yeah, I, I think you touched on the, the key point there in, the, in, in what you were saying when you were the purpose of communication obviously starts with the audience. If your objective is to communicate the, the, the core information, then your visual is going to do a lot of the heavy lifting. If your That's intention right. is to communicate how jolly clever you are and how complicated everything is, then perhaps you want blocks and blocks of tests, text, which are really hard to engage with. So I suppose it depends on what your actual objective is at that point. Yes. So that was your first point, your first tip there. Yeah. The, the more complicated. Like... Sorry, are oh, you going to give an example, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's worth giving an example here. And I thought I would bring up something that I know has been discussed more in the last year, and that is the topic of diversity, equity, inclusion, justice. It goes by a lot of different names, which in many ways speaks to why I thought this would be an appropriate example for this particular theme. In my work, I have found almost nothing that's not as complex as this topic. You have people coming in with different perspectives, different experiences, we really don't have uh, a shared language quite yet around how to discuss some of the topics related to this. We don't have a shared practice around how we apply some of the ideas. So it's already complex. And then I would say oftentimes there is an emotional charge to this topic for a variety of reasons. So I think this is a good example of how something can be complex in a variety of different ways. And personally, I've seen a lot of people who are, I think, trying to lead a conversation around inclusion and justice and belonging and however you want to phrase it. And I've found it really interesting that a lot of them really lean heavily on visuals in their communication about the concepts, about the implications of various aspects of the topic. So I thought this might be an interesting example. I know you mentioned earlier that you're going to share some links in the show notes to some visuals because, of course, people will want to see some visual examples since that's what we're talking about. So I can mention a few that um, are in that link. Yeah, okay, because what I will do is I'll be sharing a link to the blog on your organization. It's called Vengage, 
and that's with yeah. V-E-N-N-G-A-G-E, Vengage, which I will obviously provide a link for as well. But there's going to be a link which says the eight best practices for designing infographics for diversity and inclusion. So that's the link to look yeah. for. So what, what examples do you want to pull out? Yeah, I wanted to mention just a few examples that are in that piece. There's a lot of examples in that piece, but just some examples of how people can take a complex topic and be able to break it down in a visual way. So the first one is um, there is a Venn diagram. I think most people are familiar with, with what that is. It's basically overlapping circles. And within those overlaps, you can kind of describe similarities between different topics. So there's a Venn diagram that talks about the differences between and the similarities between diversity, inclusion, and equity. Um, I think that's a really great way to discuss these words that, of course, I just used and are being used fairly often, but aren't often defined. So that would be one example of how to break down something really complex. Think about how you might compare similarities and differences and perhaps even just root people in the foundations of the terminology and how this topic is being discussed. Yeah, Another I'm just, example. I'm just looking at that one now, actually. Yeah, it's really interesting. I I was immediately drawn to reading the descriptions in each of the segments that were formed by the three overlapping circles. And of course, the one in the, the middle, because I, I think one one great thing about the Venn diagram is you're sort of naturally drawn to what's in the middle, what overlaps all three circles, and then that feels like your objective. That's where that's where we're trying to get to, which in this case is belonging. Uh, so it it is very very easy to engage with and understand it, and and in that sense, it's extremely powerful. Yes, and it's a different experience, I'm sure you can imagine, than in it just purely in a text form. Oh yeah, I just wouldn't read it. Yes, exactly. And in that graphic, I think there's also some other visuals of people. So there's other ways that you can also engage people in the topic in a way that really connects to them and their experiences in a way that goes beyond what you can do with text. So that was one example. The other example I wanted to give is there's another graphic that talks about invisible disabilities. So I think this is another example of how you can sort of take something that's complex and, and use a visual to really help people in understanding it better. So obviously they're being cited as invisible disabilities, right? So the whole purpose of the visual is to get you to focus and consider um, experiences that people have that affect their abilities that you might not recognize immediately from basically seeing them. So this is not somebody that you would recognize who is, for example, in a wheelchair. This is somebody who's having an experience that you wouldn't necessarily know unless you knew the person. So I think this is another example of how you can use a visual because it's really calling attention to something in a very direct way that in other ways, like in a text form or perhaps even not at all, would not either be getting attention or would not would not be something that people would necessarily connect or relate to. So there's images of people in this graphic, and I think it helps create the sense that the people that we interact with and that we see every day might be having experiences like chronic fatigue, chronic pain, 
mental illness and we might never know that. So I think this is another example of how you can break some, take something complex and make it something relatable and use a visual to really showcase something that might not otherwise be referenced or emphasized. Yeah, I, th I think, I mean, this is very different from the last one. There's a lot more words in this one as well. And I think sure. what's, what's interesting is I think the previous example with the Venn diagram felt like it was structuring some conceptual ideas and, and told, telling you how they interacted. Whereas this is essentially a way of breaking up some text more than anything else because there's still quite a lot of description in there. But you want to read it, you engage with it because it feels like there's a very easy way in to it. But it, it doesn't compromise on the fact there's actually quite a lot of info in there. There is. I'm glad you're pointing that out. So there obviously is such a wide range of how much information to include. I think one of the strengths of this is that any one of these topics, obviously, you could talk at length about, but by presenting them collectively and yet, you know, relatively simply um, and organizing it in a way that you can read, you know, through the list and then dive in more detail if you want, I think really helps people get that there's many layers to this particular subject. Yeah. No, I, I do like the, the, the those very different styles and the way that they're both working in such completely different ways, despite obviously both being designed visuals. Yeah. It gives so you I'm, a I'm sense, slightly I distracted because I'm scrolling camera. through the, I'm, I'm slightly distracted. Sorry, I'm scrolling through all of these visuals because it's quite a great, it's quite a big blog post with quite a lot of different, um, loads of different examples on it. I was just thinking, God, this must, take, this must have taken you ages to write this. And uh, there's loads of templates there people seem to be able to have access to to use. Absolutely. The, these are some of the best templates I've seen on this topic. So if anyone is listening who finds that this is really relevant to their work, they're in a position where they really are trying to educate people about this topic in particular, I highly recommend obviously looking at the examples, but also experimenting with the templates because they're they're very easy to work with and you can just customize them based on anything additional that you'd want to add or if you want to change the colors, however you want to make it your own. What's your next tip, which we will then illustrate with examples? Absolutely. In some ways, this will sound a little paradoxical, but we did touch on this a little bit in talking about complexity. And that is that oftentimes when it comes to information design, less is more is kind of a good principle to keep in mind. Less is more. So you can have some in-depth information, but understanding that people have short attention spans and honestly that the benefit of a visual is that whoever's looking at it can get an immediate read, right? They want to be able to understand something at a glance. To be able to create that experience for people, it behooves the person who's creating that visual to really think about what, not only what they would include, but what they would remove, what they would not include. Right. That's a good point. Too much information is a hindrance to understanding. So this is, again, something else that can take some some practice, obviously, and some time to get good at. But I think, especially when it comes to communicating information, 
it's a little counterintuitive. So it's really important to be able to say that if you can focus on less rather than more, you are doing your audience a service. I mean, when you're saying you've got to think about what to include and what not to include, what's your starting point there? Yeah, that's great. My starting point is always what we we talked about this a little bit already. What's really important that they remember? What's What do I want them to walk away with? And, you know, what are they most interested in? Because that's really what's going to engage them to begin with. So those pieces, I think, are critical to include. I also want to say that even though less is more, it doesn't mean that you can't that you can't go into some depth with whatever it is that you are wanting to explain. It doesn't mean you have to keep things so plain that you're not actually getting people to understand something that's robust. What I'm meaning is that in your visual presentation, the the visual elements that you use, refraining from overwhelming your audience with too many colors, too much text, too many icons, right? Like really thinking about how you can just focus on what's necessary to convey the main ideas. Right. But it's starting starting from that point of view of what am I trying to get across here? Not necessarily how much how much stuff have I got that I could say and therefore potentially drowning people with just massive quantities of, of information, but really sort of focusing on the exactly. objective. What am I actually trying to achieve with this visual? Exactly. No more, no less. So what examples do you have for us there? Right. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about how this applies to, particularly if you're communicating about data. So again, that could fall under the category of you have really complex information and perhaps what you have is a lot of data that you're trying to communicate. And that can, you know, be, there's so much data these days. It could be any kind of data. Um, Could be survey data, could be, you know, metrics about how your organization is performing. It could be a lot of different things. So again, the same thing would apply in terms of what's what's most relevant. What are you really trying to convey? I think when you are communicating data, one of the things that can get kind of tricky is how much data do you show and how are you presenting it in a way that doesn't overwhelm people? I'm more and more talking about data storytelling. So how can you make sure that the data is embedded within some sort of story so that you're allowing people to understand why it matters and what they might even do with that data? So I wanted to share just some examples about that. Okay. So I had shared a another article that talks about what makes a good infographic. So there's several examples in this piece, and some of them are more data-focused than others. The one in particular that I think really does an excellent job of what I'm talking about is based on research data. And so that's why I really wanted to call attention to it, because if you look at the data set, the data set is incredibly complicated. What is being conveyed in the visual, what the data is about, is about how relationships have changed over the last 50 years. And, you know, of course, this is based on collecting data around when people meet, when they get married, um, how long they live together, things like that, and how that's changed over the last 50 years. 
I think this visual does a really good job of simplifying that story by showing you know, what those critical junctures were in the relationship and how those have shifted over the decades, the last five or six decades. And there's also some storytelling components. So there's some annotation within the graph. Annotation is where you would include text like right next to a data point to kind of explain what's happening at that data point. So I think that this visual does a good job of conveying a lot of information, being able to contextualize that, being able to explain the information, including through the annotations, but it's not an incredibly crowded visual. There's a lot of white space, there's a limited use of color. Even the text is very plain and straightforward so that you can look at that graphic and you can easily get the main idea. One of the main ideas is that folks are living together much longer before they're getting married. Um, and you're able to visually see that without feeling like the, there's a lot of cognitive load on you, that you're having to really sift through a lot of information to get to that main point. It's incredibly simple, this, this one, to, to actually look yeah. at it. I mean, it looks simple. Obviously, there's a lot of thought behind it, but I mean, it looks incredibly simple. As you say, there's so much white space, but it conveys so many, so much information, as you say, about when people meet to when they turn romantic, to live together, to marry. And, and, and there's, you know, there's, there's several bits of information in there and, and how things have changed over time, over the, over the decades covered. Um, and, and there's also some interpretation. There's not a lot. There's something like, I think, four text comments that just interpret the data a little bit. But it, 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 you're absolutely exactly. right. It gets across um, really quite, you know, quite a lot, an enormous amount of research, really, in an extremely simple diagram. Yeah, so I thought this would be a good example for folks. What I mean by less is more. It's not less information. It's less, less visual stimuli, almost. Same amount of information but less visual overload. Yeah. I mean, there's no visual overload there at all. It, it's, it almost looks sparse. It's actually one of those things that when you, the, the more you look at it, the more you appreciate the skill that's gone into it. Do you have another example from that same page? And I, again, I'll put this link in, in the show notes and it's the seven tips on how to make a good infographic link. That's a good question. I think the other one I would point to in here is probably this flow chart. Do you have the flu? So I keep, I keep getting distracted not... by the one above that, which is one near the top, which is the highest paid jobs. I'm thinking, my God, an anesthetologist. They get paid more than a surgeon. <laughs> I never knew that. Mind yeah, you, they're the ones with the good drugs, aren't they? So it does make sense, I suppose. That Well, that's a high risk job. There's a lot of things that can go wrong. True, so. true. Sorry, you were saying a much I more sensible reason, point about yeah, do you have the flu? I, I think I would draw attention to this one because even though it's not quantitative data, right? Like there's not really any numeric pieces. There's a little bit, but there's not much numeric information here. I still consider this data because it's, it's, it's very rich information and it's definitely based on research. I think what I like about this graphic is that it's been simplified in a way that allows, that really speaks to the audience need, which we were talking about earlier as one of the main ways that you can kind of filter information, right? Like the goal of this is to help somebody identify whether they might have the flu. And so instead of presenting all of this information about 
the flu, which of course there's a lot of information that could be presented, they're really focused on what is the most important thing that this person would know. So the first thing, of course, that's listed is the symptoms. And then it's a flow chart. So it's allowing somebody, it's leading someone through the information based on what's relevant to them. So yes, if you do have the symptoms, then it asks the questions, did you get a flu shot this year? And then based on whether you answer yes or no to that, it basically tells you, you know, whether or not you maybe should consider getting a flu shot because from the perspective of the folks that created this graphic, that that's their goal. Is It's very clear. <laughs> they want people to get the flu shot, but they didn't make the poster about why you should get a flu shot. They made it relevant for the person that would be using this by speaking to what their experience is and whether or not they are having the flu. And then I think there's some additional information pieces here, but what I like about this is that it's also allowing people to go into the amount of detail that they choose to go into. So there's some really good headings, stop the spread of germs, what to do if you have the flu, supplies to keep nearby. I can read those headings and I can know like, do, is any of those interesting to me? And if so, then I can read the additional information there. Sometimes when we don't present things in this sort of way, we're asking people to read through a lot of information and we're not allowing them to decide what's relevant to them. So that's one of the advantages, I think, of being able to present things in a way that's somewhat layered, right? So again, there's a lot of information here, but what's being emphasized is actually pretty limited. And then you're allowing the person to decide if they want more. Yeah, I mean, the, the flowchart, I love the flowchart mechanism anyway, because it does allow for a lot of different scenarios to be dealt with within a single graphic. And the flowchart is very simple. It's only got, I think, two decision points. I, have to, I do like this one slightly less. Um, it does feel a little bit like the, the objective to encourage people to get a flu shot feels a little bit too obvious. And, and it's kind of set up as a almost a diagnostic tool, yet it seems to sort of be going only in one direction. So, so in a sense, I, I kind of feel I like this one a little bit less. This feels a bit more like advertising and less informational, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I think that that is often the case with informational visuals. Oftentimes, they are walking a line because somebody has justified the effort to create them. So there's some sort of goal for the organization or the company that they're hoping to meet by creating that. I think it's really interesting that you are responding to this from a place that's very much, how would I describe this? I hear in your response to this that you're having different feelings come out of seeing this graph. Yeah. You don't like it. And I just want to point that out because we talked about earlier about how visuals elicit emotions. And I think that's an advantage, but yeah, that is one of the potential outcomes of using a visual is you can elicit negative emotions in some way though. It just underlines what I was meaning when I said they do elicit emotions. I don't know if you would have, I wonder if you would have that powerful or similar powerful response if it was just like a basic flyer with no no visual just all text 
I, I don't. No, probably not. I mean, I, I probably wouldn't have engaged with it anywhere near as much. And I have, I think, read pretty probably read pretty much every word on this. I think, and and followed the flow, and I followed every every path of the flow as well. And and so, I probably wouldn't have had an emotional response. I wouldn't say I don't don't like it as a visual. I don't think that's quite right. I just kind of feel there's a bit of a mismatch between it seems to be selling itself as a diagnostic tool saying have you got the flu but it feels like its real reason is to encourage me to get a flu shot so it just feels like there's a bit of a mismatch there between its sort of stated objective and the actual probably the underlying objective so then I feel a little bit manipulated yes I think that's a fair response but it's interesting yeah to, to, to have that emotional response to it that is that is a really interesting point yeah just as I had an emotional response think, to realize how much an anesthetologist gets paid. On the, exactly. Yeah. That actually is a great segue to the last tip that I wanted to offer. So we, you know, there's kind of been a theme that we haven't touched on directly yet. And that is just how important it is um, to think about your audience when you are creating these visuals. And I think you can do your best at trying to understand or trying to consider what people might find most meaningful, what their preferences might be. I think we don't really know, though, unless we are engaged in some sort of testing, some sort of feedback loop where we are allowing people to share with us what their impressions are. So the fact that you responded to this graphic about do you have the flu the way that you did, I think would have been really important information for whoever created this visual to receive perhaps before they publicly release this. Yeah. So that that would be my third tip is to really make sure that you're not creating your designs, you know, in a bubble, that you're able to think of it as even before maybe you're engaged with the larger audience that you're hoping to engage with, that you're thinking of it as a conversational tool and that you are allowing whatever that conversation is to come to your awareness sooner than later. Yeah, I, I think that's a, I, I think as with anything creative, you can sort of fall in love with your own creation to some extent, can't you? And perhaps be resistant to feedback. And when you put it in front of some awkward so-and-so like me who who, who maybe it doesn't land so well with, I, I guess there's a temptation to, to defend your work because you've poured so much creative effort into it and there's probably loads of really brilliant stuff in it. Uh, so I suppose that, that emphasizes the importance of being good at exposing it and not doing it in a bubble, as you say. Yeah, and it's why I said sooner than later, earlier is better. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, that's understandable that you would feel that way. I think before you put a lot of effort in, being able to test some of your basic assumptions around what do people already understand? What are they most curious about? What, what might they struggle with conceptually? What do they not fully get that, that is really important to you that they do get? I think it's hard to know those things unless you are explicitly asking people. And I think having some sort of visual or something that someone can react to actually is a great facilitative aid for that conversation. If you go to someone directly and you ask them vague questions, you might not get the same amount of information as you would as if you are offering something to them and 
inviting them to react and respond. My experience has been that oftentimes that elicits a lot more from people because again, what we were saying, they have some sort of emotional reaction and they're going to offer that back to you. Yeah. And, and you won't always be able to predict that because you'll be obviously much closer to it, I guess. And I think that's the, your, your really key point then is that engage as early as possible. Uh, and then you get less attached to it, I guess, and you can. It's easier to kind of back out or or make different make different decisions. Yes, and that's also why, you know, consider how you can create something that's what in design we call low fidelity, meaning there's not a lot of polish. You know, you don't have to have all of the the bells and whistles in that first version. You can just have really basics, and even if it's, you know, just black and white, and maybe there's some, maybe there's some shapes and lines, like if you were doing a flow chart, like we just discussed, mm. maybe there's a basic construct of a flow chart with, you know, some basic ideas of what you think want to go, you want to put in each part of the flow chart, a sketch, as it were, whether you are into drawing or not, something that's rough, and being able to present that before you go into all of the the details of the visual elements. I think that's really helpful because sometimes you'll end up throwing out completely what you've done because you realize there's something you missed entirely or actually there's something else that's way more interesting. So I think being able to really keep it simple for yourself in the beginning allows you to be able to better make that pivot. Yeah, I think that's that, that's a very useful designer or creative tip in anything, isn't it, really? Is there, is there anything else that you want to add that we haven't discussed? Well, if you want, I can give an example of the testing and kind of what can come out of that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, so we created a graphic um, based on some data related to what some of the experiences have been of folks who have not gotten um, vaccinated. And we did this probably a couple months ago. So they have not received the COVID vaccine. And really the, the purpose of that was to really kind of showcase all the different elements of a healthcare system and how there's a variety of factors that influence people's ability to be able to access the vaccine. And when I shared out the infographic that we created, and, and you can put a link um, in the show notes to this, it stimulated a really interesting dialogue around how we are referencing different people who may or may not be getting the vaccine based on a variety of reasons. And what is some of the language that we might be using to talk about that? And without that visual, I think it would be hard to stimulate that conversation, but also being able to consider that, right, as part of the process of how we're communicating is really critical if the goal of that communication is ultimately to better connect with folks who maybe don't have the information that they need or maybe don't have the resources that they need. We want to make sure that we are building a relationship with those people and not using language that would be off-putting or would somehow invalidate their experiences. So how, how did you use this process of exposing it very early in that sort of low fidelity way how did that affect the development of this particular visual yeah that's a great question you know when i started out with the visual i was looking at the academic research on 
how traditionally, like even before COVID, um, public health professionals have referred to what they call hard to reach versus hard to vaccinate populations. So hard to vaccinate would be folks that are vaccine hesitant. That's another word that's used for that. Folks that just are not inclined to get vaccines for a variety of reasons versus hard to reach, which is it's not that they don't want the vaccine. It's that for whatever reason, they're struggling to be able to get it. So by looking at the academic research first, that was great because I was coming from a very solid background in terms of a lot of thinking had gone into that and and I was happy to be able to incorporate that. But being able to think about the language that we would use specifically in this graphic for whomever might be reading it, I think changed how, you know, what is what is the language that makes the most sense for the audience and not just based on the academic literature. I mean, there's so much in this particular visual yeah. as well there's so much because when you're saying about the amount of research you had to do you can you can see it does come through that there's an enormous amount of thinking that's gone behind this to create what's actually a fairly simple fit but it's not that simple i mean there's still quite a lot in it but a very sort of engaging visual but around what are quite sensitive topics i mean you're not only touching on people's mm-hmm. views about vaccines which people can, could could be quite sensitive around but you're also bringing in issues of racial identity which again, obviously fairly sensitive uh, areas as well. So you're touching on quite a lot of sensitive stuff here. Yeah, I mean, in, in a way, <laughs> this really does demonstrate all the various things we've talked about, right? Yeah. The power of being able to communicate about complex topics, being able to do that in a way that's not overwhelming, and making sure that you're listening to whomever your audience is during your process so that you're able to best convey the information in a way that helps them. Well, that's probably a good place to end this on then with this visual that includes all of those elements as you've just described. So thank you very much, Lydia, for coming on to the programme and talking about uh, the use of visuals, which is possibly something that a lot of people don't always give this much thought to. I know I don't. I quite like drawing a decent diagram, but I haven't never given it this much thought, to be honest. So this has been really interesting from my perspective. And uh, I look forward to the next time I have to do a visual and actually applying some of this stuff. That's great. Yeah. It's been a pleasure, truly, talking with you and sharing about this. And I do hope that I've inspired some people to overcome some of the barriers we discussed and really know that it's worth the practice and feel encouraged and supported and being able to improve their practice over time. Well, I think if they click through the links and actually see some of the examples, they'll be particularly encouraged as well because you, you'll see just how, how great they are and, and, and just, just how engaging they are. So I think that helps a lot. I know I was kind of quite transfixed by many of them and uh, have learned a lot of just by reading them you know, in between our conversations. So um, I really encourage people to go to the show notes on, on the website and actually click those links. So thank you very much, Lydia. And if people do want to know more about you and Vengage, your organization, again, the links and all information's in the website. Well, thanks. Thanks so much, Lydia. And um, it's been really enjoyable. Thank you. Thank you. It's been great.